Hello and welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. My name is David Clegg. I'm the political editor of The Daily Record and your host. And you join me on a very dramatic day for British politics. The Brexit draft deal has been agreed. Theresa May came out last night and said she had the agreement of Cabinet. And then this morning we have woken up to a spate of Cabinet resignations and the suggestion that there could be a no-confidence vote in the Prime Minister. We'll get into all the ramifications, including that for Scotland and how it was discussed at First Minister's questions. And we've got two perfect guests for that discussion. Uh, From the Conservative Party, I have Adam Tompkins. He's a Glasgow MSP and is also the Constitutional Relations Spokesman for the Tories here at Holyrood. And we have former Health Secretary Shunan Robeson from the SNP. There was a whole branch of topics we were initially thinking about talking about today uh, and we normally try to get through a few but given that there's so much going on with Brexit today we're just going to focus on that. So I think I'll just, I'll just you've just been responding to the Scottish Government statement on Brexit that Michael Russell has given Adam. Yes, yeah. what, what, what is your position on this? There's obviously been a lot of disruption in the Conservatives. We've seen the Brexit Secretary Dominic Grab quit this morning alongside many other colleagues and Theresa May didn't seem to have a great deal of support on the Tory backbenches. Jacob Rees-Mogg has put in uh, a letter of no confidence and it seems like more could follow. You're supporting the Prime Minister. Um, so yesterday what happened is that the Cabinet um, agreed uh, that the draft withdrawal agreement that has taken you know nearly two and a half years to negotiate um, uh, should be allowed to proceed to the next phase, and I support that decision. Right? I think that the draft withdrawal agreement, which is you know extremely long, it's five hundred and eighty-five pages of really quite dense legalese. Um, I spent twenty years teaching European law before I was elected to the Scottish Parliament, and I struggled to understand um, quite a bit of those five hundred and eighty-five pages. If I'm if I'm honest, although it was quite late last night, by the time I finished re- reading the document, it is a dense and difficult document. And what the cabinet decided yesterday is that it should go to the next phase, which is that it should go to the European Council for formal adoption uh, there, and it should go to the House of Commons for what will be the most intense and prolonged scrutiny of that document. It will be poured over, it will be torn apart, it will be read line by line, it will be um, uh, analysed by experts, by political experts, by legal experts, by all manner of experts, Um, uh, and um, we will see. Um, what uh, is uh, left intact of it um, at, the en- at the end of that process. At the end of that process, there will be what is referred to in the Commons as a meaningful vote. Um, uh, and uh, the next stage of the Brexit process, as I understand it, can only proceed if that meaningful vote is passed. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I think that there, you know, the Prime Minister said yesterday that this is not a perfect deal. It was never going to be a perfect deal because a deal is a negotiation, is a is a trade off, is a is a compromise. It is a set of compromises. Do you it think has, it's the best it deal has possible? Some, it has some jagged edges. Um, it has some issues in it, which I think uh, raise uh, concerns not only for Scotland but for other parts of the United Kingdom as well. I'm so, sure Shona will agree uh, with with that. Um, but I think it is good enough to go forward to the to the next phase. I just said in the chamber that I res- I'm personally reserving my judgment on a number of aspects of it including the Northern Ireland backstop so called backstop which I'm sure you'll want to get into. Yeah. But it's you know it's not something we can touch on lightly. The backstop is dealt with over 175 pages of this document. It is in- it is incredibly complex stuff. And I think the only decision that was really taken yesterday and it was a decision that the whole of the cabinet was behind is that this deal should go forward it should be published. 
and it was published last night. It should be published so that we can all read it, we can all analyze it, we can all take it apart, we can all look at it, and we can all see whether it is good enough um, uh, to uh, enable um, the United Kingdom to leave uh, the European Union in something resembling an orderly manner, so that in others we don't leave on a no-deal basis. Given that level-headed approach that you're taking, why have so many of your colleagues lost the plot today? Why, why, why did the Brexit secretary resign over the Brexit deal that he was involved in negotiating? Unfortunately, Britain's relations with the European Union has been a toxic issue in the Conservative Party, not for the last two and a half years, but for the last three decades. Um, uh, there are, you know, the, 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 I think it's really important um, that we remain uh, cool and calm and collected. Um, uh, uh, we can all get on. With well, respect, that's about, not happening at the minute, is it? No, it isn't. And I, and I expressed my views about that in the chamber this afternoon. I think it is sad and I think it is unnecessary. Um, I, look, I, I, this is a really uh, important decision. Um, you know, that's the understatement of the century, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it is reckless to rush to judgment. Mike Russell has rushed to judgment to condemn the 585-page document that was published yesterday. I think that is every bit as hot-headed um, as any rush to judgment uh, to um, endorse every one of its um, uh, multiple uh, articles. I think that you know, it, it's a document that demands respect. It's a document that demands the most serious and careful uh, consideration. It is a step forward. Um, it is a step uh, in a direction that a lot of people want to take, which is to ensure that the United Kingdom does not leave the European Union on a no-deal basis. Okay, let's bring you to this point, Shona. Are you watching this chaos unfold and rubbing your hands with glee? I, uh, it's quite hard to know where to start, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Adam, I think, is right on one point. I think this issue has divided the Conservative Party for decades and has actually brought, you know, Prime Ministers and their leaders down before. And I think that what people are talking about as of now is is how long Theresa May is going to hang on. So, you know, this deal um, is a deal that really is is uh, being um, criticised from all quarters for different reasons, I accept. But you know, Mike Russell and the, uh, and the Scottish Government had set out right at the start of this process what they required to see come out of, of the deal. And clearly, any uh, differentiated deal for Northern Ireland and all that that means for Scotland in terms of the disadvantage to jobs and the economy is, is something that is not acceptable. I think where there is a possibility is to accept, Theresa May has to accept that this is not going to go through. So what happens next? And I think the fact that, uh, which is quite an unusual thing, that all of the opposition leaders managed to, you know, kind of get in the same room, come to an agreement around the, the letter that they jointly agreed that, you know, this, uh, uh, to set out an ambition to to look at what the options could be uh, beyond today. Now, Mike Russell set out some of those in the chamber. I think it's fair to say that, you know, having to choose uh, between a, a false choice of, of the frying pan or the fire, as the First Minister said, is not a real choice. And what we now need to do with cool heads, as, as Adam said, is to look at what the alternatives are. Because I think we all said this deal is not going to get the support in the House of Commons. So the question is, what happens next? Let's let's get on to what happens next in a minute. But let's, let's deal with the Northern Ireland issue first. Uh, the, the ticket from the Scottish government's perspective, uh, Nicola Sturgeon at First Minister's Questions today uh, has said that it is unacceptable that this proposed agreement could give an unfair competitive advantage to Northern Ireland. Like, given all the other 
ammunition in her arsenal as regards to tearing apart this deal. I, I, I find it quite unusual that she, fo- she focused quite so much on that. Could you maybe explain why the SNP think this could be such a problem for, for Scotland if Northern Ireland did well, have a differentiated well, deal? I mean, first of all, I should reiterate what the First Minister and, and Mike Russell also said, and that is no one wants to take um, a better deal from Northern Ireland away that protects the peace process. What we want, though, is the same for Scotland, um, because if we don't, then we're going to be at a disadvantage, on, uh, given that, the, from what I understand, Northern Ireland will stay aligned to some EU rules and things like food products and good, good standards, while the rest of the UK is not. Now, given... Um, you know, Scottish jobs and the economy will rely and, and will be hit by Brexit in general terms to then have your, your neighbour with a, a, an economic advantage is just something that's not acceptable and of course it wasn't acceptable to David Mundell and Ruth Davidson either when they said if this happened uh, they would resign. Now what we want is parity. We, would, um, we have set out right from the start our belief that the customs union, the single market, is, is crucial here, but that should be for the whole of the UK. What we can't accept is uh, the one part of the UK getting a, an advantage that Scotland does not. When we were told all along that was not possible, clearly it is possible, and what we've said is, well, Scotland should also get that. And the fact that in the 585 pages that Adam was talking about, that Scotland is not mentioned once is quite astonishing. And I think throughout this process, that has been you know, Scotland has been ignored. Adam can pick up that point if he likes, but also Adam, I'll just I'll just read you a quote from an article you wrote for the Financial Times on October seventeenth, which was which said, from a Scottish Conservative and Unionist perspective, what goes for Northern Ireland must go for Scotland. Also, do you think that this draft deal? meets that threshold. Well, that was the beginning of the sentence. You didn't read out the end of the, the end of the sentence, did you? But look, I mean, I think this this point about differentiated deals, technical though it is, is 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 critical to understanding how Brexit plays out from here, from a from a Scottish point of view. Um, at the beginning of this story, I think, is that um, very shortly after the um, uh, EU referendum, uh, the Scottish government published an important document called Scotland's Place in Europe. Um, uh, in which one of the core claims made, and Sean has just referred to this, um, is that Scotland should have its own bespoke Brexit deal, and that that should go so far as uh, Scotland remaining in the European single market and the customs union, even if the rest of Great Britain, even if England and Wales leaves um, the single market and and um, and the customs union. Um, and the Scottish Conservatives have always been resolutely opposed to that, for the simple reason that it would break up the UK. Um, that would impose a border at Berwick, which doesn't currently exist in goods, services and uh, the free movement of people. Um, and that is what Scotland voted against in 2014. So, you know, our view is that both of the referendums need to be respected. The referendum result in 2014 that Scotland wants to remain part of the United Kingdom and the referendum in 2016 that the UK wants to leave the European Union. Now, I, I won one of those referendums and I lost the other. And I can tell you it's much more fun to win than to lose. Losing referendums is hard and it forces you to make very difficult political choices. Um, but it, while it is true that the whole of the United Kingdom... So do will you be, accept, let, me, let, me, okay. let me go to the Northern Ireland point, if I may, because it's really important that we get this right. Um, uh, while it is true that the whole of the United Kingdom must be leaving the European Union as a single member state, it is also true that in doing so, the United Kingdom must abide by its international treaty obligations, including its obligations solemnly entered into under the Good Friday Agreement as a result of the peace process which Shona referred to. And and this requires a square to be circled, right? Because on the one hand, um, it is impossible 
for Northern Ireland to maintain the same trading relations with Ireland, which, is, which will continue to be a member state of the European Union, if the whole of the UK, including Northern Ireland, leaves the single market and the customs union. There will have to be changes. There will have to be changes either between Northern Ireland and Great Britain or between Northern Ireland and Ireland or both. And our position has been, and the Prime Minister's position has been, that there cannot be a return to the customs arrangements um, of uh, the 1970s. And at the same time, there cannot be a customs border down the Irish Sea. Now, squaring that circle is mind-bendingly difficult. It's not just attempting to do the impossible. And it takes 175 pages of really dense and complex legalese of the draft withdrawal agreement published last night uh, to, to, to try and get there. But the, and this is precisely, you know, my big regret today um, is that too many people, uh, including in my own party, um, not in the Scottish party, but in the UK Conservative party, have rushed to judge the extent to What about Ross Thompson? Has he rushed to judgment? Yes, I think he has, um, uh, frankly. Um, I, I, and I regret that. Um, I say it in sorrow rather than in anger. I think it's unfortunate. Um, I, I think this is a time for cool heads and calm reflection on what is a very complex legal document. I look forward to the detailed scrutiny that, the, that that document needs to be subjected to in order to get to the answer to the mm. question. You know, is the differentiated deal for Northern Ireland, which is nothing like on the scale that the SNP were proposing for Scotland, by the way, there's no proposal that Northern Ireland can unambiguously remain in the customs union and the single market while the rest of Great Britain leaves. That's what Mike Russell and the SNP want for Scotland. It's not, that's not going to happen for Northern Ireland. It's much more complex than that and much more subtle than that. Um, but the question is, you know, do these ongoing arrangements merely build on current all-Ireland North-South arrangements, for example, with the all-Ireland electricity market and uh, trade in agricultural products, or do they go beyond that to develop what will be for Northern Ireland a future regulatory regime, which is substantively and significantly different from Great Britain? Now, I've read those 175 pages twice, and I don't yet know the answer. You haven't made up your mind. It's not not that I've made up my mind. It requires painstaking legal analysis. It's a very complex uh, question. It's not that I haven't made up my mind. Uh, it's that it's it, you know, the text is obscure. It's very difficult, even for a, um, a lawyer who's had twenty years te- teaching experience of European law, to understand it. It's not it's not a straightforward thing. So let's not rush to judge. Because Ross Thompson said that in a WhatsApp to David Mundell, which has been leaked to the BBC, that no unionists could could support the deal because of these. Ross Thompson condemned the deal before he'd even read it. Right. I mean, you know, he he condemned it this yesterday. Is the Aber- this is he a con- Tory MP for everybody. He condemned himself. indeed. He condemned the deal before he had even read it. It wasn't published until after he sent his first messages out on Twitter on Twitter about this last night. I think this is unfortunate. I've talked to Ross about it today. I've explained to him my view that I think he's acting in a manner that I can't support, and I think it's very unfortunate that the members of my party behave like this. What what do you make about that of that of that, Shona? Uh, first, not only the kind of civil war there, but the the, the fact that it. I'm, I'm not declaring war on anyone. I don't like that language. I mean, you know, we're talking about Northern Ireland and the peace process here, and I don't think we should be talking about civil war with respect. Okay, well, how would you describe um, it? I, I, in exactly the words I've used. I I I am speaking in sorrow rather than in anger, um, and I regret the actions of some of my colleagues. I I think first of all the. The, the, the whole WhatsApp uh, exchange is, is, is quite bizarre uh, in itself that, you know, um, just to, to, to lighten the mood for a second, I, I use WhatsApp to talk to my mates and, you know, it's almost like you know, Ross has messaged uh, David Mundell through WhatsApp and said, oh, by the way, Dave, I think you should, you know, throw in the towel like your mm-hmm. colleagues have done. It's a, 
and then leaks it to the press and you, you, you literally don't know what, what is coming next. And I know there's some speculation there may be a further uh, resignations, but, uh, you know, the, the question is, you know, what, what do we do next? The problem here, if we're stripping it all back, is, as Adam himself acknowledged, that this issue, the issue of Europe, has dogged the Tory party for decades. And what we've had is a whole process driven by the Brexiteers. Um, and I guess it was never going to end well in that Theresa May was left with a, an impossible task, and an, an, a, a circle that cannot be squared. Or a, you know, it, is, it was an impossible task. Um, and now um, what's happening is all those chickens are, are coming home uh, to roost. And I think while the, they allow the Brexiteers and the extremists to, if you like, dictate what is happening and to try to keep them on board, that was they should not have gone down that line. What they should have done was to have worked with those who were of reasonable mind and I think the Scottish Government made genuine, have had made genuine attempts over the last uh, two years to put forward reasonable propositions, accepting that staying within the EU, even though that's what we wanted, was going to be challenging and therefore putting forward uh, ideas around the single market, the customs union. And, you know, would it not have been better to have coalesced around something that was, OK, never going to please the Brexiteers, but actually I think we'd have got reasonable Conservatives on board, could have got major opposition parties on board, and we could have coalesced. But, but, the, but the reason why we didn't do that, the reason why we didn't do that is because before the ink was even dry on the ballot papers, on the day after the um, EU referendum, the First Minister chose to link the fate of a second independence referendum directly to Brexit. Um, and that was a, uh, that was a, frankly, it was a mistake on her part, right? It would have been much easier for the United Kingdom government to deal effectively with the Scottish government if the independence referendum had not been put back on the table unilaterally by Nicola Sturgeon on the day after the uh, but, but, EU referendum. But Shona was making a, point, there's a been, wider there's, point there's, about there's the, been, U, the UK been, government's there's direction there's, there's there. There's been significant cooperation between the UK government and the Welsh government, which is a Labour government after all, not, not a government that wishes to support Theresa May in any shape or form. There's been much more significant intergovernmental cooperation between the UK and Wales than we have been able to have between the UK and Scotland because the Scottish government, despite our repeated requests to take Take it back off the table. It's not a second independence referendum that Scotland wants. It's a second independence referendum that the SNP wants. And I understand and respect Shona's view about the constitutional destiny of Scotland as an independent state. But now is not the time for that argument. And the 24th of June was not the time to, to begin to reheat that argument. So the reason why there has been the absence of uh, cooperation between the Scottish Government and the UK Government is because of the unilateral and unnecessary acts of the Scottish Government, and in particular of its head, Nicola Sturgeon, in putting the independence question back on the table on the 24th of June. G given that we are, we are where we are now, Shona, uh, what do you think should happen next, or what do you think is the most likely thing to happen next? Is it an independence referendum that you would like to see in Scotland? Well, as the First Minister said, she'll come back to the Scottish Parliament and, and set out uh, her, her thoughts around that in due course I think what would you like to see her do um I well the first thing I think we should do is to uh, put forward um, in a calm uh, collective way um, our um, willingness to work and cooperate with others at Westminster 
who are like-minded and could coalesce around a more reasonable proposition here, We're both potentially within the Conservative Party. There are many Conservatives who are appalled by what is going on and who want basically, I think, to think again. And we should create that opportunity. Uh, Labour, I think, have some questions to answer about their direction of travel here. Yeah, they are the major opposition party at Westminster and they need to set out and be willing. I think where there was um, cause for optimism was the fact that they um, jointly agreed um, with all the other opposition parties around the need to um, be able to amend and change and renegotiate the deal. So we, we had common space there. And I think the first thing is to look at that common space, including those on the Conservative benches at Westminster who would have common cause there. Because actually, you know, it is in nobody's interest, people who are working hard for a living, whether they live in England, Wales, Northern Ireland, um, or Scotland, to have their, their, their jobs in jeopardy, to have uncertainty. So we need cool heads, a calm, collected approach, and I think the space needs to be created to do that. But this deal is not the starting point. Do you think that there's a possibility that that could happen, Adam, that this space could form, that there could be a, a way to look again at what happens? Um, yeah, I mean, I actually agree with quite a lot of what, what Shona said. I think, I mean, I don't agree that this deal is not the starting point. I think this deal has to be the starting point, given how far the clock has ticked around to, to March uh, uh, 2019 already. Um, there is a deal on the table. Um, let's not rush to judgment to throw it out. I'm sure that there are ways in which it can be improved. As the Prime Minister herself said yesterday, it is not a perfect deal. It's a trade-off. It's a set of compromises. Um, it, it, it is inevitably not going to please everyone, but it is a useful starting point. It points, the, um, it points us in a direction of travel that will see us having in the future you know, the deepest uh, um, uh, access, the fullest access to the European single market of any state in the world outside of the European Union. And that's what the Prime Minister has been seeking since the, the very beginning, since she became Prime Minister. Her, very, you know, her, her first speeches about this matter were all about pursuing the biggest, boldest, most comprehensive free trade agreement that any state outside the European Union anywhere in the world has with the European Union. And that's always been what I have wanted to pursue. You know, the, 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 the reason why we can't simply abandon Brexit and stay in the single market is because if we were to stay in the single market, we would not be taking back control of our borders. And that's clearly one of the things that the people of Britain said we had to do. Likewise with the customs but union. But that's a, that's if a we position stay that Scottish Conservatives have changed since the immediate aftermath of the referendum. If we stay in the customs union, we cannot pursue our own independent free trade policy with the rest of the world because we'll be tied to the common commercial policy of the European Union. Now, you know... I wish we could have our cake and eat it because that would make life, you know, oh so much easier. But as I said a few moments ago, when you lose referendums, and Shona and I were both on the losing side of this one, when you lose referendums, it forces you to make difficult political choices. But the starting point of those difficult political choices, if you are a Democrat, is that you have to abide by the will of the people. If the people have given you an instruction in a referendum, you have to deliver on it. And the instruction here was to leave the European Union, to take back control of our laws, our money, and our borders and the deal that was put together it was published yesterday it's been put together painstakingly over the last two and a half years delivers on that it is a useful starting point how much of it will survive intact remains to be seen but it is the point from which we should now start it, it's not going to get through the commons by the looks of it exactly is it? well i don't it, it, we'll, we'll wait and see i mean Theresa may has been underestimated and written off so many times that i think we should all know better by now than to than to, than to rush a judgment it's not going to get through and what needs to happen 
as well as a coalescing around the sensible voices is to stop playing to the tune of the Brexiteers because that can't, that won't work. That's what's happened to date and it hasn't worked. Therefore, there has to be a shift towards the sensible voices where there can be a coalescing around um, the, 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 the principles of what people want to see. And you know, you know as well as I do, Adam, that people, uh, when they were voting in the, um, in the referendum, were told so many, so many untruths to be, you know, to be blunt, that um, it was all about um, uh, immigration, it was all about fear, um, all about, you know, there was going to be billions for the NHS. If you were to speak to people now about what they make of all of this, I think the vast majority of people will want a sensible outcome that protects jobs, protects the economy, doesn't stop the, 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 the ability for people to move and work across Europe, which you know as well as I do is so fundamentally important for so many of our industries, whether it's the agricultural industry, uh, whether it's the care sector. The university we, sector, health services, well, I absolutely agree with you. All I mean, of I, that. There's no disagreement so between So let's us about not that. cut our noses off to spite our, our faces here and let's stop playing to the tune of the Brexiteers and get around the table with the sensible voices uh, where I believe there are some within the Conservative Party. But Theresa May has to show the leadership to do that. And that has to be about an open and genuine attempt to move beyond what she's put on the table. Well, I think, I think Theresa May has been doing that. I mean, what, we, what we've got in the agreement that was published yesterday is precisely the agreement on citizens' rights, for example, that you and other colleagues in the SNP were arguing vociferously, vociferously for a couple of years ago. And we've got and um, always have had a commitment, not that we're going to turn our backs on the European single market, but that we are going to have the fullest and deepest, most comprehensive access to the European single market of any state anywhere in the world outside of the European Union. That is the basis for a consensus around which all parties, it seems to me, uh, can um, can begin to move. And I think, you know, I mean, I do, I, you know, I, I don't agree, I don't disagree with you. There has been far too much tribal warfare, not only within parties, but between parties about what should have been an issue around which parties could come together in the national interest in order to deliver on what the British people have told us to do, which is to leave the European Union. That's what the Prime Minister has been working for, and that's why no, I continue to support her. I see, I see tribal honestly. warfare is okay, but civil war <laughs> is not. Um, let's, let's just talk about the people's vote then, or the second EU referendum, which is what some other people who are trying to find a solution to this are pushing. What do you think about that, Shona? As somebody supports a second independence referendum, I guess you support that again as well? Well, yeah, you've heard uh, Mike Russell and the, the First Minister say that, yeah, yeah we, would, we would support uh, that within uh, the Westminster context. Um, I think, as I said earlier on, that what people thought they were voting for and now what is in front of them, People, I think, are quite appalled um, at what they thought they were voting for and what they now have. And I think when you look at the the movement of opinion, um, Scotland, of course, voted sixty two percent to remain. Um, the uh, uh, there is shift, I think, within uh, uh, England and Wales. Obviously, Northern Ireland voted to remain as well. Because I think now it's exposed to the kind of the harsh uh, light of, of reality of what this will mean for people. I think people are beginning to understand that what they were told this was about is, is actually about something else. I think where there is a question mark, and this was obviously put to Willie Rennie at uh, First Minister's questions, is, well, if, if, that, if there was another people's vote, and I would 
certainly hope that in the light of all the information that people now know that there would be a different outcome. But there is a question, well, what if the outcome was the same and Scotland voted to remain, Northern Ireland voted to remain, England and Wales don't, what, where would that leave Scotland? Now, obviously, we would campaign, I would campaign for a, a, a vote uh, to, uh, well, to, to either remain in the EU or to have um, a, a single market customs union. We would always have to, to iron out exactly what people would be voting on. Um, <laughs> Is there tactical risks for the SNP in that? And that it sets the precedent of a referendum result being revoked well, and also kind of makes the chances of a second independence referendum less likely? Well, you know, I know that people have kind of uh, raised that concern. However, when you look at what people voted on in the independence referendum, I think it would be hard to argue that there's a parallel um, uh, situation where you know, there was a full expose and of all of the issues during 2014. Uh, there was a prospectus put forward, obviously, with the white paper from the Scottish Government. Whether you agreed with it or not, it was certainly not lacking in detail. And there was a full debate about all of the issues. What happened, though, in the EU referendum was a series of, led by the Believe campaign, of, you know, at best, you could describe as mistruths. You know, the, the billions for the NHS, it was all about immigration, keeping people out. It w really wasn't about EU institutions and about the single market and the, the customs union. It was about fear of, of immigration and that, it played to people's fears. Uh, so I think the two are very different indeed. Um, and uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, that will be something that the that our MPs, who at the end of the day it is about democracy at Westminster as well, and they are representatives of the people who have been sent there. And if they agree that this deal is not a deal that should be supported, and it doesn't look like they will support it, then the, the democracy should reign there as well. And there either has to be a, a new deal or um, in, or other options, as Mike Russell lay, laid out, either a renegotiation or remain in the EU, or the Single Market and Customs Union, or a people's vote. All of these options are what will have to be discussed across the parties at Westminster. Adam, the, Shona, the point that Shona is making there is that the EU referendum campaign has been discredited in some way because of the nature of it and the fact that it wasn't quite clear what, what the vote would mean. Do you think there is some credibility to that argument? I, I'm, I don't like referendums. I think they're lousy ways of making complex decisions. You know, the one thing that we have learnt, above all else perhaps, about leaving the European Union uh, since the EU referendum took place two and a half years ago is that it is not a straightforward affair. But referendums necessarily boil complex issues down to binary choices, yes or no, in or out, leave or remain. That's how referendums work. Um, so I'm not in favour of having more referendums. I think that British politics and Scottish politics has been damaged by having too many referendums. Um, I'm in favour of having fewer uh, referendums. I'm also not in favour, um, as a Democrat, of um, saying to the people, look, you know, we asked you this question, but you know what? You got the answer wrong, so we're going to have to ask it again. And we're going to keep asking it until we get the answer we like. Uh, that's how the European Union has behaved to some of its member states. Um, Ireland in 2001, I think it was, uh, Denmark in 1992. And I think that's a pretty disgraceful way of behaving, actually. I don't like that at all. Um, I, I, as I said, you know, once you take the decision to hold a referendum, um, and you know, we can argue about that, 
But once you take the decision to hold a referendum, you have to listen to the result that the people give you, whether you like it or not, and you have to then deliver on it. So I'm not in favour of going back to the people to ask them a second time um, uh, whether they got the answer right or wrong in 2016. But that might not be the argument. The argument might be, um, is it this deal that you want or is it some other th- sort of Brexit? And that, would be, that wouldn't be a second EU referendum. That would be a first referendum on a different question. Now, the difficulty there... Um, and, you know, I'm not closed-minded about this, but the difficulty there is what are the options on the ballot paper? Clearly, one option on the ballot paper would be the deal that the Prime Minister has negotiated or the deal that the Cabinet has agreed, the deal that's been put in front of the House of Commons and rejected, um, you know, if that's where we are. This is a way um, to get what's the other three with what's, the Parliament. What, what's the other? What's the other option? You know, if, if, if that option does not secure majority support in uh, um, the United Kingdom... You know what's the other what's the other option? No deal. Re, re, you know, return to the European Union. I mean, that that, that that seems to me to be an unanswerable and an imponderable. So I, I can't see how a binary referendum can fix that problem. What, what so what we are what, what are we left with? What we are left with um, is is parliamentary government, right? Um, governments, whether it's the SNP government here in Holyrood or the Conservative government uh, in Westminster, um, enjoy office for only as long as they continue to enjoy support in. The Hollywood Chamber or in the House of Commons. And that's the core of British democracy, not the direct democracy of referendums, but the much messier, much more complex, um, and much, frankly, much more interesting um, uh, democracy of parliamentary uh, and representative government. Um, and it is now up to Parliament. What the Cabinet decided yesterday is that Parliament must now have its say on the deal that the Prime Minister has brought home from Brussels. If Parliament rejects that deal, then the Prime Minister, whoever he or she then is, will have to go back to Brussels and seek clarifications or tweaks or renegotiations around the issues that Parliament has identified as being imperfect and unacceptable about the current deal. And that's parliamentary democracy. It's not always very neat and tidy, but it's great that we have it because all of the alternatives are so much worse. Okay, well, we could talk about this all day, I think, but we're running out of time. I'll finish just with some predictions, which is a fool's game in politics <laughs> at the minute. But Adam, will Theresa May be Prime Minister come Christmas time? Uh, I hope so. And do you think so? I, look, I, I think the Prime Minister has been underestimated throughout her career. Um, she was an immensely successful Home Secretary, holding down that position for six years, which is a very long time, as you know, to be a Home Secretary. She, she secured a number of really quite controversial wins during that period of time, including the deportation of Abu Qatada, a negotiation which everybody said could never be done. She did it, including the enactment of world-leading world modern slavery legislation, which is, you know, I think, tremendous, including the abolition of identity cards, which she got rid of uh, as an incoming Conservative uh, Home Secretary. She's been underestimated also uh, as Prime Minister. I've met her several times and I have never underestimated her yet and I don't intend to start now. Okay. Shona, do you think she'll still be Prime Minister at Christmas? No, uh, I don't. Uh, but I think the question is, well, whoever replaces her, which is a big question of who, um, they, the danger is they continue down the same path. And I think what we need is a, a complete, not just a, a, ch- a change of Prime Minister, I think we need a change of direction now, whether that comes in the form of uh, a, a general election, um, which uh, I think in those circumstances would be quite a, a difficult uh, thing to resist given the circumstances of Theresa May going. I think to then just simply replace her with, well, with who? And is it going to be a Brexiteer? Is it going to be a Remainer? It will still be defined by this issue. 
So, you know, whereas, you know, and I have a bit of personal sympathy for Theresa May and so far as she's had an impossible job to do. But if she had set out at the start not to try to keep people in the tent who basically wanted to destroy the tent, they weren't interested in being in it, they never were. But she tried to accommodate them and that, I think, will be her downfall. Okay. Well, thank you very much. The record will be covering all the ins and outs of the Brexit saga as it develops, and we'll be back next week with another podcast. For today, I would just like to thank Adam and Shona for taking the time to come and talk to us, especially on such a very busy day. Thank you very much. Good.